Brothers and sisters, as we return to the story of Joseph this morning, let's uh, take note of how we have been reading and hearing this story in three ways. The first is the most obvious, and we haven't mentioned it all that explicitly. We have been reading the story as history. We, uh, we do not understand uh, that these are cleverly invented stories, but rather the record of true and actual historical events, specifically the historical events of the life of Joseph. The second way that we have been reading this story is as prophecy, specifically prophesying the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's even uncanny, as we say. Uh, It's maybe even a little spooky uh, how often we can so easily find the events of Joseph's person and life matching up with the person, the life, and the saving ministry of Jesus. And if the story weren't so familiar to us already, I would give uh, I would give a spoiler alert before saying that uh, that now we will begin to see how Joseph even serves as the savior, the savior of Egypt, the savior of the surrounding nations, and of course the savior of his very own family. And just as God the Father sent his son to be our savior, so it was God who sent Joseph. Uh, into Egypt, so that ultimately it was God, through Joseph, who is the Savior. And if we match up the life of Joseph with the ministry of Jesus, here now is the resurrection of our Lord. As Joseph comes forth from the pit to save his people, so Christ rose up from the dead, rose victorious over the grave in order to give us life forevermore. The third way that we have been reading uh, this story is uh, for what it teaches us about our own lives and Christian faith. None of us uh, will um, likely ever see the inside of an Egyptian dungeon, hopefully not even the inside of any prison cell. And yet Joseph's suffering resonates with us, which is to say we we can so easily identify with Joseph. And we should identify with him because when we do, as we do, we, we gain the benefit of seeing how God cares for him, knowing that so he cares for us as well. On a very basic level, the story of Joseph rings pleasantly in our ears because it's a story that ends well. Uh, with, with, with the suffering protagonist coming to a good end, even a gloriously successful and prosperous end. But even further, it's a story to teach us perseverance through suffering. The purpose of God is fulfilled in his timing, but fulfilled it will be, and we can trust him in our suffering. So let's begin with this first point, prolonged suffering. Because Genesis 44 verse 1 records after two whole years. And that's all we need for the first point because the reference is to the time that Joseph spent in Pharaoh's dungeon. Even more, it refers to the added time, the further misery beyond the time when Joseph had interpreted the dream of the baker and the cupbearer. Having interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, 
that he would be delivered from prison and restored to his position, which he was. But after that interpretation, Joseph had had said to the cupbearer, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. But at the close of chapter 40, we hear, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, after two whole years, and the emphasis is clear. It's, it's not just sometime later, and, uh, and it's not just after some part of two years. Instead, after two whole years, Joseph would finally be released. It's, it's the picture of prolonged suffering. As I said before, none of us will likely ever see the inside of a, an Egyptian dungeon. Uh, but we all know what it is to suffer, do we not? In one way or another, to a degree or another. Uh, we all know something of prolonged suffering. We know what it is to, to have to wait upon the Lord amid disappointment and pain and sorrow. So that on one hand, we can take comfort by commiseration. Misery loves company. So the saying goes, and isn't that so very true, one way that we actually increase our, our suffering is, uh, is often by hiding it. Instead of opening up and, and finding out that we are not alone in our suffering. And one way that we can help and comfort others is by spending time with those who suffer. But we can also take comfort from Joseph's suffering by comparison. Uh, we can note that being thrown in prison was not the start of, uh, or the extent of his suffering. Going back to Genesis 40 again, uh, Joseph said to the chief cupbearer, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. But he also made his appeal by adding, For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. His reference to the pit, I think, is twofold. Clearly he was referring to the prison uh, that he was in. Uh, we can tell that because Genesis 41 in our text, verse 14, says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. But the reference also calls to mind, does it not, the pit into which his brothers threw him, saying, let's not lay a hand on him, let's just throw him into this pit. Until later they put their hands on him again and pulled him from the pit and in order to sell him as a slave. It, it makes me wonder if, if this is where the expression, the pits, comes from. Um, of course, we, we use that expression rather quickly. That's the pits. Um, we say even about the smallest thing going, going wrong. But that's the point here, is, is that by way of comparison, we can take comfort. It, 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 it may be bad. It most certainly is bad. No one's doubting that it's bad. But it's not what Joseph was called to endure. Even more when you consider that uh, even when Joseph wasn't in prison, yet he was a slave in the land of Egypt. 
But our comfort is, is even greater when we, when we jump to the suffering of our Lord and, and recognize that his suffering was even greater than that of Joseph. And perhaps the point is made no better than by simply quoting the Heidelberg Catechism here. Question 44 of the Heidelberg, referring to the Apostles' Creed, asks, why does the Creed add, he descended into hell? And it answers, to assure me in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. And so the comfort is this, that that when we are called to suffer and tempted to give up, We can be sure that Jesus has saved us from hell, a suffering far worse than we will ever have to know. And so we can also take comfort in Joseph's suffering by covenant, by commiseration, by comparison, and also by covenant. Because the remarkable teaching of God's word is that not only did Joseph have the same God as we do, He also was in relationship to God by the same covenant of grace. How can that be? Joseph lived thousands of years ago. We're only reading of his life by way of ancient manuscripts. How can that be? Joseph, his Old Testament, we're new. But it's the same covenant. As the Apostle Paul makes very clear, going all the way back to Abraham, to teach that we, like Abraham, are justified by grace, counted righteous by faith in God's unconditional promise. So even as Joseph, sitting in an Egyptian prison, surely took comfort by remembering God's covenant promises, first made to his grandfather Abraham, then to his Uh, his great-grandfather Abraham, then to his grandfather Isaac, then to his father Jacob, and yet made to him as well. Though he was now a slave in Egypt and suffering so greatly, even so, Joseph enjoyed a covenant comfort, as we say. Surely by way of his circumcision, the sign of the covenant given to him, a visible reminder to him, at least a couple times a day, right? In fact, there's evidence that after two whole years, Joseph had grown in faith. And, and the same can be true of us. It's, it's the same covenant because the God of the covenant is the same. And, and we can remember that, that the sign of the covenant has been given to us as well. We have been baptized We have already died and risen with Christ, and and though we must wait for certain smaller deliverances, yet the greater deliverance from sin, death, and hell is already ours in Christ. Dear brother, dear sister, are you suffering? Are you having to wait for God to act to give you relief from disappointment, pain, or sorrow? Have you perhaps given up praying because you've been waiting so long? Then take up your prayers once again. 
And let this be the first thing that you pray. Father in heaven, thank you that though I am not where I want to be, neither will I ever be where Christ has gone for me. And thank you that I will always have hope as I hope in your promises and long for heaven for the sake of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So we come to a second point that I want to call a dream within a dream. What follows then is the account of Pharaoh's dream. There are actually two dreams, and uh, we are given a detailed account of both. Then as Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, we hear the dreams again as Pharaoh tells Joseph what he saw. But Joseph's first words of interpretation are to say in verse 25, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So it's really one dream. And it's a dream within a dream. In fact, it could even be said that it's a dream within a dream within a dream. Because if you recall, the dreams began with Joseph back in the promised land. The sheaves of his brother bowed down to Joseph's sheaf. The sun, moon, and stars bow down to Joseph, and there too the dreams are one. And although Joseph may have lost track of his own dreams uh, through everything that had happened following, although Joseph's brothers may have figured that they had successfully put an end to to their brother's wild dreams, yet those dreams, that one dream, is still in force. It was yet being worked out by God. Then the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, the baker's dream found immediate fulfillment as he was put to death by Pharaoh, but the, the cupbearer's dream is still in force. As he, it's still being worked out by God as he remains in the, in the service of Pharaoh. And now here comes Pharaoh's dream. Can we see then that it's a, a dream within a dream within a dream, and the reason this is so is because they are not just dreams, but the revelation of God's plan. This is so important because here is an overall view and understanding even of the entire book of Genesis. We've been in Genesis for quite some time now, so so that we need to to keep the whole together, so to speak, and, and here's our opportunity. It's It's not just a book of of unrelated short stories with only a few common characters overlapping. Instead, just as Joseph's two dreams are one, even as Pharaoh's two dreams are one, so there is one story here. And it's always moving forward in the book of Genesis. And so we can go back, not just to Joseph's dreams, but even to the garden, because there was a revelation there too, a word from God. It didn't come in a dream, but it was the promise of the coming serpent-crushing seed of Eve. And so the movement begins. Then to Cain and Abel, and specifically to the blood of Abel, crying out to God from the ground, even as the blood of Christ would cry out, though speaking a better word than the blood of Abel. And so we move forward. 
Then to God's covenant with Noah and through Noah to all who would come from him, the promise that the land would prevail against the sea, man would not be wiped out, and salvation would come. And so we go forward. Then to the Tower of Babel, where God said, Go, get out of here, because he had a plan that wouldn't and, and couldn't be replaced by mankind building a tower so to find their own way into heaven. And we go forward. Then to Abraham, who heard another promise from God, another seed promise. First, the seed of Eve would come. Now the seed of Abraham is promised. But even as the dreams of, of Joseph were one, and even as the dreams of Pharaoh were one, so the promises of God for a son to be born are really the same promise. And we go forward. From Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the movement is always forward. It's a story within a story within a story because it's all one story. It's the Word of God within the Word of God within the Word of God because there is only one Word of God. Hundreds of pages, 66 books, but there is only one Word of God. And His name is Jesus. The Apostle John figured that out, and he began his gospel in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The seed of Eve was born. The offspring of Abraham arrived. The miracle child foreshadowed in Isaac was given by God. And the one, the one that we see in the life of Joseph came to suffer, to suffer and yet to save. And then we arrive at the moment that Joseph is finally remembered. As Pharaoh's wise men were not able to interpret his dreams for him, it would seem that another man was there too in his capacity as cupbearer. The scene is all too familiar to him only two years ago. For him, only two years. For Joseph, two whole years. But he remembered Joseph. He recalled the night when he had had a dream, and the next morning Joseph had been able to tell him what the dream meant. And of course, he remembered that the interpretation had come true so that even now the cupbearer was in the presence of Pharaoh. From Joseph's perspective, he was remembered when needed. It reminds me of how uh, parents, uh, after the children leave home, are remembered only when needed. They don't call, they don't write until they need money or until they figure out that they could still use some instruction or advice from dear old dad or from kind-hearted mom. Well, so with Joseph, until he was needed, he sat languishing in prison. And I can imagine that except that uh, he so very much wanted to get out of prison, Joseph might have said, forget it. You left me here unjustly in prison for two whole years, and now you expect me to, to come and and help. But that's not what Joseph did, probably because indeed he was happy one way or another to be released. 
Yet it was more than that. He came to serve. He came forth from prison to do what he had always been doing. Since arriving in Egypt, he had come to serve. He had come to serve, and to do that, no matter where God placed him, he had come forth to serve. The better perspective to take is to trust God's timing. The dream within a dream had led to another dream, and and, and Joseph was remembered and, and called for. And, and we can take the same perspective on, on the suffering of our lives. We, we can know by the teaching of God's word that, that there is always a plan. There may be much waiting. We may feel that we are languishing. It may seem that nothing is happening. But here's the marvelous truth that something is always happening in this world. Amid the apparent pointlessness, when so many people are so thoroughly confused, and increasingly so it would seem in our day, even, even as the wise men of the world fail to come up with the answers, something is happening. And not just something, but God's wise plan, His divine purpose, so that we also go forward. And the same thing has been true all along, of course, as as Joseph had his strange dreams that we come to see that uh, that it was not so strange after all. Uh, As he was sold by his brothers into slavery, we come to see that there was a purpose. Uh, As he became a slave in Egypt, yet he went to work and served the house of Potiphar. As he was falsely accused and thrown into prison, he went to serve the captain of the guard and and then to interpret the dreams of two men. And, And now after two whole years, yet the plan of God was in force. Things were happening. You see, the length of time is relative, is it not? From the perspective of our suffering, it's two whole years. But from the perspective of God's purpose, it's two more years to show that God is still in control, His plan is still in force, and His purpose is still being worked out. It just depends on what perspective you, you choose to take. The, the one of confusion and despair... You're welcome to that perspective, but why would you take it when you have another one to take? The perspective of faith and hope when you know the promises of God. And so we finish with the testimony to providence. It was said earlier that uh, in two years, two whole years, that Joseph even grew in his faith. And here's where we see it. I think we are not meant to miss the difference in how Joseph responds to Pharaoh compared to his response to the baker and cupbearer. Back in Genesis 40, verse 8, when we learn that the two men had both had dreams, when, when Joseph learned that the two men had both had dreams, he said this, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. 
So here, it's not that he left God out of it altogether, but but having acknowledged that only God has the answer, he, he quickly set himself up as the way to get the answer from God. The two men might have even said, oh, so you're God? Or at least, uh, so you have some direct com- communication with God? And it kind of fits with how Joseph told his brothers his dreams. Was he boasting as he told them that their sheaves bowed down to his sheaf? Or was he only confused or, or at least curious about his own dreams? And, and so here, his offer to interpret the dreams of the two men was not purely based on himself. But there seems to be something lacking in what he says, especially when we compare it to how he answers Pharaoh. So consider the difference. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. So there was every opportunity there for Joseph to say, yeah, I can do it. Just tell me your dream. Instead he said, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This time, Joseph's answer was akin to soli deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And that favorable answer was then the unfolding of God's providence in the next 14 years of one of the most powerful nations on the face of the earth at that time. Brothers and sisters, what a blessing belongs to us that we have the stories of Scripture, which again are really just one story. But by hearing these stories, we get to see who God is, or as, I, as our catechism says, what God is. His being and character. We get to hear about what has been happening. Really just the one thing that has been happening throughout the whole history of the world. Joseph came to figure that out, or to figure out that what was happening, or what was happening for him over two whole years in prison. And and yet we get to see what has been happening over two whole testaments old and new. And throughout the whole history of the world, there is one God, even a great and wonderful God, and He is at work in this world. And the plan and purpose by which He is working in this world is always moving forward. Even Job in his suffering came to see this and he confessed to God in the end, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 138, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. It's one thing to know these things to gain the knowledge of the God whose purpose cannot be thwarted. It's quite another to apply these things to our lives and to do so even in our suffering.
to apply these things will almost certainly require repentance. But as we repent of our impatience, as we repent of our grumbling, as we repent of our bitterness toward God and others around us, as we repent of our unbelief, the blessing of faith is comfort and hope and even joy. By God's word, we come to see that there is only one word. Many stories, many revelations, many dreams, but only one word. And his name is Jesus. He is God's plan and purpose. For he is God's salvation for us as we trust in him. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, O God, for the one story told in your one word. And we thank you that that one word is the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grant, O Lord, that we would see the fullness of your plan and the glory of your purpose throughout Scripture. And that we would not so much be entranced by the story of Joseph, but by the prophecy of his life. May we see our Savior, our Lord Jesus. May we trust him all the more. And may we indeed find a great comfort and knowing that in him you have fulfilled your plan, you have met your purpose, and you have saved us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.